from the chilly upper Midwest, I call out to you, aloha. Welcome to season two of the Arvinda Show. If you missed season one, don't worry about it. It was mostly an experiment, but this season is the one that's going to count. This season is focused on conscious entrepreneurs. And for today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Sean Crown and Ashley Campbell, the founders of Nikoko Hawaiian Gelato. Their company is already pretty famous on the islands, but this is the first time that their full backstory is being shared with the public. From their remarkable meeting way over in New York, to landing on the wrong island, to bootstrapping their business, I think you'll find their story unforgettable. Enjoy. Aloha. Aloha. How are you doing today, Andrew? Thanks for joining me uh, in an interview today. Um, for people who don't know you, you are Sean Crown and your partner, Ashley Campbell, uh, co-founded Nikoko Hawaiian Gelato. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Did I get all that right? Did I pronounce everything correctly? Yeah, nailed it. Awesome. So this is part of the Aravinda show. This will be not the first episode because I've done a couple before this way back, but this is part of the entrepreneur interview series. Oh, well, I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah. Thanks again, Sean. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to dive in. So we want to start. Um, what brought you to Hawaii? It's It sounds like you've had quite an adventure to get there. Oh, Hawaii. Um, you know, it's, it just sounds like a magic place, right? You hear the word, you're like, ah, and it instantly kind of spins you off into daydreams of palm trees and white beaches <laughs> and and sunsets. And it, and it feels like an unreal place. And to me, it always had been. It's It was never somewhere where I had grown up thinking, oh, I'm going to move to Hawaii. I want to live on the beach. I want to, you know, be in this tropical island. I grew up in the city. I grew up in on the East Coast. And yeah, it was, you know, the farthest thing from my mind. I think I'd always just assumed that I would be in that area. And um you know, it wasn't until I was a little older and started um, experiencing my own life that I kind of mm -hmm. even had the concept of a world outside of that that city mindscape. And, you know, one day, I mean, long story short, me and Ashley had met and mm -hmm. we'd been just loving each other, loving our life. And, you know, when I met her, I kind of found someone that was like a sounding board, someone that... Mm -hmm you know, you would have an idea and normally an idea would just fly off the universe. It would just kind of be, you know, dr drift away. They'd just be there. But with her, I'd stay, I'd say dreams and thoughts and ideas hmm. and they'd bounce back at me. And hmm. in what way can, um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I, I hear what you're saying, but I'd love to hear you elaborate. Yeah, on let, let me dig in. Well, me and Ashley met in a party in New York city in, um, Oh, I couldn't even say the exact year right now. I'm not in the place to do that, but the big apple, yeah, we, big, big party yeah. in the big apple. We were at a, at a club and I'd gone upstairs from, to the club because one of my good friends was having a party and, um, I was sitting on the couch, hanging out, talking to him and in walked Ashley and mm -hmm. I was instantly captivated, uh, as anyone is with her, you know, <laughs> see her. Oh, I want to talk to that person. Um, the oh, more yeah. I've, She's a wonderful presence. Yeah, she really does. Just puts out a great energy, always very bright and um, just positive person. And 
you know, I said to my friend, I said, that's the girl I want to marry. And no I, way. You said that the, the, the day you met her. Oh, right. The, I didn't even meet her yet. I just saw her. I was like, wow. And he was like, um, wow, she's dating one of my friends. That's why she's here. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to go talk to her. Um, and I pretty much just walked right up to her. And it was one of these things where within seconds, like seconds of talking, the both of us were just, it was, that was it. I think it just took that initial spark and, um, you both felt you know, something. We, yeah. We both just instantly started talking and going and going and going. And, and we've pretty much been locked in a conversation ever since that just hasn't stopped. <sighs> wow. That same night, like my friend actually went up to his friend and said, Hey, Sean's really like interested in Ashley and you know, knowing him, like he's just a really persistent person. This is what <laughs> is going to be like putting all of his time and energy into. And, um, in that way, you know, the same with business, even now it's something that I've always kind of had, like, I don't know if they, you know, if it's a astrological thing, I don't know how much I really believe in horoscope, but everyone says, mm-hmm. Oh, you're an Aries and mm-hmm. you're Leo. And Oh, you're going to, that's just the kind of person you are very like driving, mm-hmm. um, fiery mm-hmm. person. But you know, I also could be just cause I'm from New York and I'm a firstborn and you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's just me, but charge through. You know, yeah, I started talking to her, and then that very same night, you know, um, her boyfriend at the time, like, she went to him, and he was like, well, I want to go home, and she said, I think I really need to stay here and just keep hanging out and pursue this, and he was actually really level-headed, really nice guy. We're still friends with him. He ended up oh, just good. saying, okay, well, I'm going home, um, and left the party, you know, and she ended up staying, and we moved in with each other that night. We just said... um Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah we just, it, <laughs> wow. I, uh, you moved in with each other that night, the day, the night yeah, you met. The night we met. So wow. she had a place and um, I was actually traveling around on my motorcycle at the time and was just kind of crashing at places in New York. But my friend Jeremy, whose party it was. So you were semi or basically nomadic at the time. Exactly. Yeah, I was just traveling at that point, that point in time, just not sure where I was staying or what I was doing. And oh boy, we, we'll have to go deeper in this in another conversation. Cause I, I would love to <laughs> hear more about that time, but keep, keep moving along. Oh no. Yeah. There was definitely some fun there, but <laughs> Jeremy wakes up the next morning, you know, we slept on his couch in the living room and he wakes up and we're both on the couch and he just throws the keys at me and says, Hey, do you want a place to stay? And we both like looked at each other. We're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well this apartment's yours for the next three months. I have to go to Oklahoma. Um, make sure to water my plants. See you later. And pretty much walks out of the apartment and yeah, me and Ashley stayed with each other ever since that we did the three months there. Um, wow. we had our adventures there. Then we moved into our, well, we actually went back to her old apartment where she had been living and she had just left empty for a couple months. But it was a closet. It was a New York city apartment. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm talking literal closet, maybe 10 feet by like six feet. And, uh, wow, it wow, was wow. just enough room to fit a day bed and a Whoa. record player in. Can I ask which part of the city it was in? Uh, that one was in the apartment that we stayed in was in the lower East side. And, oh, okay. um, yeah, right off of, um, Houston street. And then from there, yeah, we moved to her apartment in Bushwick. Mm. Oh. Yeah, off wow. the M train. So how and do you go from being in Bushwick 
to being in, you know, what many people call paradise, you know, this rainforest. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, they juxtapose the complete opposite world in yeah. every way. Almost on the other side of the planet. <laughs> yeah. So I had gotten a job at a bar at that point in time. Um, you know, I'd, we'd gone from that apartment and eventually got our own apartment in um, Fort Greene. And we'd started decorating it and doing, you know, the, the couple thing. What, what couples do? You move in mm -hmm. and you start shopping and mm -hmm. decorating and planning. And we had a beautiful 10-year uh, lease, um, oh, wow. one-bedroom apartment. And that well, was exactly what we needed. Ashley had started working as a teacher. She had graduated from college at this point in time mm -hmm. and started teaching at the Fort Greene School. And I had a great job at a really wonderful bar. I mean, I'm still very close with all those people as well. And, sure. Um, was making great money. And yeah, we were set. We were like, okay, let's do this. Do we have kids? Do we, you know, you know, keep this apartment forever? What are we doing? And I guess like we were in bed one day looking around the apartment and we realized that we had decorated the entire apartment like the forest. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. With that, with like subconsciously without even realizing it, we looked around and we said, look, like we, painted the walls to look like trees. Um, you know, we painted the walls like a brown and then did the whole roof in like a light green color. And we were like, look, we've basically plant made it so it looks like we're living in a tree. Um, our <laughs> living room is all like greens and browns and we just made everything was very earthy. And we just kind of laughed and I said, I think we're overcompensating for something. We're, we're missing something in our life. And I said, I think we need to leave the city. I think we need to just go take a vacation and do something different. Mm -hmm. So we had started planning. Um, I had been teaching her to sail. We'd been going down for sailing lessons. and Oh, really? Um, yeah, really loving sailing. I remember one night I was at the bar and she walked up and I was at the front gate. And she had this book, a sailing book I'd given her. And she's like, look and read this passage. And mm -hmm. it was a passage about um, navigate, like astral navigation and about how the sextant was the guiding like compass basically like, you oh, know, yeah. the guy for sailors and she's like let's go and get this tattooed on us right now <laughs> so i was like well I'm, I'm working but you know i had a really good job i told i talked to him i said hey guys i'm gonna be back in two hours um you know we dropped it and she we brought the book over to a tattoo artist and showed them the picture and the, pe the passage and we both got it tattooed on us and so, yeah, sailing at that point in time had become something of uh, of a dream of ours, like something that we really loved doing together as an activity. It was yeah. Ashley's first foray into something a little larger than what she had been doing. Like she had never swam or um, really adventured in that kind of way. Really? Did she not grow up uh, learning how to swim or just in terms of having swam in the ocean? Oh, no. She, yeah, just grew up never learning how to swim. Oh, never wow. really been in the water. And I mean, at this point in time, she's already uh, ooh, 21 at this point. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, she had never swam, never really gone to the ocean. Um, yeah, wasn't much of a didn't do any camping. She had been raised pretty much in an urban environment. Never learned how to drive. Had used public transportation, right, right. which is pretty common uh, in New England, basically. Oh, oh yeah, in the Northeast, I mean, I mean it's very normal. You don't need to drive. You, you don't want to own a car if you live in the Bronx or <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stupid. Parking is a logistical nightmare. So, yeah, we get um, our sailing license from, you know, the American Sailing Association. And we're sitting in, you know, kind of like led us to start thinking, like, where where could we go? So I said, why don't we go on vacation? We'll go down to Trinidad or Tobago and 
Mm-hmm. We'll just have a Caribbean adventure. We'll rent a sailboat and we'll sail around. So I call my best friend, um, Brad Embry, really wonderful guy, um, one of the founders of Original Skateboards. And I've nice. always looked to him. Yeah, really great guy. I always had looked to him as like a guide and um, really big influence on my life. And I called him. I said, hey, Brad, what do you think of this idea? I'm thinking of going down here. Have you been there? Um, you know, he's well-traveled. And he was like, you might want to look online about like what's going on in Trinidad right now. They're um, rejecting the American dollar and they're having like a political upheaval. He's like, it might not be the best time to do that. And he said, you know what? I just came from Hawaii. I have Ohana out there, I, which I hadn't known the word at the time. And yep. he's like, you can call them up, tell them I said you can visit and um, I'll let them know that you're my best friend. And, you know, I think Hawaii would be a good place for you guys to get out of the city for a little bit, have a little vacation. Mm. And me and Ashley bought tickets that night, you know, and I hung up the phone and said, well, let's look it up. And wow. it just so happened that there were tickets in 10 days from you know, when we were looking at, um, we flew out here on 9-11. We were, it was uh, pretty closely after 9-11, so the tickets were, you know, nothing. No one wanted right. to fly on that day. Right, and, right. Yeah, we had gotten $200 tickets to Hawaii from New York City. and One way? I uh, didn't tell any. Yeah, one way. We didn't tell anyone we were going other than Brad. And Wow. Um, you yeah, guys we, are quite spontaneous, was, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spontaneity has been, you know, um, a key factor in our life. <laughs> and following your intuition, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a little <clears throat> impulsive to an extent, but Ashley is very grounding and very realistic. So mm-hmm. she adds a real, real, like, a grounding nature to my impulse. So mm-hmm. I like to say, like, yeah, I'll jump from a cliff, but I'll want to make sure that it's safe first. Thing. <laughs> You'll, you guys will jump together but she'll have a parachute or something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, beforehand, when I was younger, I would have just jumped. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, when I was a kid, I would have just jumped without looking. And now Ashley's like, hey, you know, look before you fall. <laughs> so we landed out here. Okay. And um, it wasn't 20 minutes before the two of us were like, well, I think that we're never going home. Yeah, we're never going home. I wow. think this is it. Can I um, ask where you landed? Did you land in Kona or did you land in Hilo? Uh, we landed actually in Honolulu. Okay. Um, like so many people, we've had so many guests and friends out here, and I'm like, no, we live in Hilo. You have to go to the Hilo yep. airport. And um, even just recently, one of our friends came out here, and they landed in Honolulu. They're like, okay, I'm here. I'm <laughs> like, no, it's it's a chain island. It's a different different island. And... So your first exposure to Hawaii was Oahu. Yeah, the day we landed, all in Oahu, and um, and this is yeah, the Oahu airport, so busy and crowded and for me now i go there i'm like ah this it's an industrial complex this is crazy Mm -hmm. um but at the time period for me getting off a plane and breathing fresh air and seeing palm trees and sunshine was a completely new experience i was just wow this isn't jfk no and you know i was completely taken aback by everything the heat the weather it's such a different for people who haven't been in one of these Hawaiian airports, it's such a different experience. The air is charged. I mean, it's not just crisp sea air. It, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, I remember the moment like it was yesterday, that first breath of like that Hawaiian air. I was just like, me too. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was thrilling. And I just, you know, haven't gone back. I really, we haven't looked back since. And 
I guess that leads us to what we're talking about today, the the business. Um I I have to say, yeah, I thank I thank Hawaii for it. I don't know how much yeah. of it is us. I don't know how much of it is Ashley or me, but um Hawaii has this magic and you know mm-hmm. when they like they say, um and you've heard it too that you get here, the wa- the island either accepts you or rejects you. It, mm. Yes, I've heard that it, many times. There's so many people that come here and they're not ready, and the island will, it feels like it's literally throwing them off. Or um, sometimes testing them. Yeah, testing you to say, hey, you know, we're going to test your metal to see if this is for you. Are, are you going to be able to do this? And do you belong here? And <laughs> the island for us was always so giving it opened itself up to me and Ashley just so mm. lovingly. Um, even the Hawaiian families out here that we, um, you know, are close with, they say the same thing. They're just like, you know, the Island just really like loves you. It's just such a pleasure to mm. have you here because, um, I don't, and I don't know why the actual, because, but, mm. um, yeah, since they want it kind of flowed for us. I, do, do you think yeah. it's because you want to co-create, and what I'm, what I'm hearing as you're talking about this is, you know, you go to a place and it sounds like you went there with an open mind and you were, you were open to being flexible and learning what you could from the place. And I think if you want to stay in a place like Hawaii, especially Hawaii, that's a requirement to work with the land and not, not come with your own idea alone. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. We came here open-minded and open-hearted to say, well, what can we do here um, for here? Um, we've never had the intention of coming somewhere and changing it. And, and so it's funny that we're talking about this because we have a visitor um, who's staying with us right now, and he is really wants to stay on the island. And me and Ashley kind of had this talk with him the other day. We said, it's important when you go someplace, you should be letting that place change you. You're not yeah. going to a place to change it. Yep. And, and Hawaii is one of those places that you have to let in you have to let it change you and mm-hmm. and you need to be what the island needs more than making the island what you need amen to that <laughs> the island's a lot older than you and a lot wiser exactly. than you too it's <laughs> 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 good advice yeah and the way the hawaiians speak of this place they, it really is a living entity the island is a is a being um mm-hmm. the way we speak of um you know, Pele or Maui and all the um, Hawaiian gods. Moana. I think we understand that it's not like a Greek kind of um, deity, like these monolith gods on top of mountains throwing lightning bolts. I think that in Hawaii, while they've had these names of them, um, ultimately it's always, I think, been understood that it's the Aina, it's the land, it's the spirit of the place, and they respect that spirit in in a godlike way. Yes. Uh, but without it, I think it being like um, a worship. It's just a real respect and a deep love for the island and its spirit. Yeah, well said. Well said, Sean. Yeah, when I was really struck uh, the first time I went there, the first time I landed, I landed in Kona, which is the most adorable and still probably my favorite airport on the planet. Because Kona is just a single landing strip in the middle of lava rock (laughs) and you're coming in and you're like, this is, isn't this supposed to be a green Island? And you just see this field of, of black rock. So you land on Oahu and 
how long are you on Oahu? What's the, what's your experience like getting used to Oahu? And then what attracted you to the big Island, which is a very different feel from it. Oh, completely. I think big Island was always our goal. Um, like I said, Brad's family and his Ohana lived in Kona and we just didn't realize, Oh, we're not on the right Island. Um, till like a day or so later, like, Oh, this isn't where they live. This is a completely different Island. Um, me and Ashley got off the plane and didn't think twice about just like, hey, we're going to live life right now. So we each took, you know, we had a backpack and we just found, got on the bus at the airport and said, hey, can you take us to your favorite beach. And the bus driver said, yeah, yes, sir. And drove <laughs> us right over and dropped us at this beach and said, this is my favorite beach. You guys will have a great time here. And um, he ended up driving all the way up to North Shore with us. And, you know, we oh, ended wow. up in... Yeah, in Haleiwa Town, and, you know, the two of us with our backpacks and, you know, just open minds. We were like, let's just stay here. We crashed right on the beach. And that first night, you know, we slept on the beach and woke up. And the funniest thing happened is that we woke up and there's people all around our tent. Like, we are just have a little pop-up tent and we're yeah. sleeping yeah. right on the beach. Um, <laughs> But there's people all around our tent. We wake up and me and Ashley are like, there's people like all around us right now. What is going on? And I kind of pop my head out and I see there's red ropes taped all around us. Uh-oh. And we're like, what are all these red ropes? And so I'm like, Ashley, we got to get dressed. We got to get up. And I Uh-oh. get up and we look out. And the um, it was a environmental protection agency had roped off a big pod of turtles, like a big family of turtles that had climbed up on the beach in the middle of the night. And um, oh. had put a perimeter line around them, but they, I think, assumed. I think one of them must have assumed that our tent was was just one of their their tents, and they were like, "Oh, we'll just, you know, that's our equipment tent. We'll just leave that and then roped around it." So you were within the boundaries. Yeah, we were within the boundaries, and w- the turtles were right there next to us. And we wake up and we're like, "Oh, well, hello." <laughs> and um, <laughs> at that point, the uh, you know environmental protection agency people like look over and they're like what are you guys doing inside the lines? Like other side of the ropes. <laughs> so the turtles were still there in the morning. Oh yeah. Completely just sleeping in the sun. Oh, how many were there? Oh, about six. No, oh, that's beautiful. Was that your first experience being close to a sea turtle like that? Oh, completely. I'd never seen anything like that. Any one of them that close other than, you know, television. Wow. Um, you had to wake up and be like, well, you guys are right outside my tent and laying on the ground there. <laughs> Um, they're welcoming you. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> sweet. They must have just climbed up in the middle of the night while we slept, and um, yeah, we felt very welcomed by them. And Ashley mm. and me since have had a great relationship with turtles out here. Yeah, um, which is, I mean, how could you not? They're they're wonderful. They're little magic beings. They really are. So yeah, we sleep there, and we get up, and we decide, hey, let's stay here. Um, after kind of wandering around and. You know, we ended up staying in Oahu for, wow, almost three years. I think it's funny. I think it's uh, one of these things where it wasn't intentional, but mm. life life just happened. Yeah. Um, everything fell right in the place. We'd gone to town, so we took a bus from Haleiwa to Waikiki when we were ready to kind of start living. Mm-hmm. And we went on our, found a Craigslist ad. We respond, went to this first one we ever responded to. And this old lady comes out, and uh, Susie, she mm. walks out and is just like completely hammered. 
She's like, are you here to see the apartment? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, well, I'm having a party right now. You guys can come over. And it's an old sailor's party, which is really funny because we've been wanting to sail. And she's like, here's the apartment. When you're done looking at it, you guys can come over here. We're having some beers if you want to drink. And um, yeah, pretty much just treated us like we had lived there already. Wow. And we just were like, yeah, we'll take it. It was the first one that we'd ever, we'd seen. We were like, yeah, this works. This is perfect for us. And we ended up just really falling in love with the place. It was an old beach bungalow built in 1941, um, right in Waikiki, about two blocks from the beach and facing the Alawai. And it was like these beautiful like high rises on either end of us, but right in the middle were these tiny little beach bungalow village. And it was pretty much filled with like retirees and old sailors. Mm. And, um, you know, coincidentally, one of who, one of my best friends who, well, who's now one of my best friends, Davin, was also mm. from New York. And he was living in an apartment, oh, a bungalow right across from us. Hmm. And we met them like with our first day of being there. And it ended up being just a really nice community of people. That's so important. And that's, yeah. that's why you stay in a place, you know? Yeah, we kind of felt like we'd found a little family. And it wasn't until we'd started traveling the Big Island that we were like, well, this is what we're really looking for. This is what we'd been wanting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after like the first year and a half there, we took a vacation from Oahu and came to Big Island and just drove around. And we had a map with us of the island and just drove all around the island with this map and just wrote our thoughts and feelings about every place that we went to on it. Just. Oh, this is, you know, this is how we feel about this, like Kona. And um, when we got to Red Road, um, Puna and Red Road specifically, we did yep. a big circle around the road and said, this is where, this is where we want to live. This is our home. Um, really? Mm -hmm. And so wow. then we spent the next um, couple months planning, like, how can we get there? That's what we want to do. Um, we had realized, of course, like the benefit of Oahu is work. You can get jobs there. There's right. apartments, there's, there's amenities. It was, I think a big important transitional period for us to get out of that East coast mindset yeah. and into a Hawaiian mindset. So in a way, uh, Honolulu or at least Oahu in general was sort of like a, <laughs> it was your first step into Hawaii, but Honolulu is, you know, it's, it's a very different kind of Hawaii. It's such mixed with <laughs> yeah, mainland culture um, not to say anything negative about Honolulu, but oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful it's, wonderful place. But for us, it was yeah, it was a buffing zone. It was yeah, um, it was a, that, yeah, it was a stage. <laughs> yeah, it was that that place we needed to go to to get to here. And and I'd honestly suggest anyone coming to Hawaii do a similar thing. I mean, do what's right for you. But we have so many people that come straight out to Big Island, and yeah, and and it's a crash and burn because. The island here is so different. It is so raw. It feels like another country. Yeah. Big Island, yeah, to me, reminds me. It's its own thing. I mean, it's yeah. almost separate from the rest of the island chain in a way. Yeah. And living here is different. It's very Wild West. It's very, you make it on your own. And, yeah. In a lot of ways, it feels like the last Wild West to me. In, mm -hmm. in, in many yeah. ways, I mean, you can't go further west, really. I mean, the furthest west <laughs> you could technically go would be Kauai. You can't really go to yeah, Niihau because Niihau is only for Native Hawaiians. Yeah, Native Hawaiian only. But but Kauai is so developed. You know, Kauai is, is very different than Oahu. I mean, and very different from everywhere. But Big Island just feels like the most wild west place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe really, really maybe is. in the world. 
So for people who don't know, the Red Road is this great road that used to be Red Cinder that is south of Pahoa, way, way, way south of Hilo on the Big Island. And it hugs the edge of the island. And there's these gorgeous cliffs and views and crashing water hitting ocean spray up into the air and beautiful sunsets. And then they finally paved it, I want to say early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, it was still partially red when I got here, parts of the road. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, they definitely did it in segments. And there was, it wasn't until recently that they paved all the way to Kapoho, um, the tide pool area. But, yeah, I'd imagine like 2008, 2007. Is that when you did your original exploration and you circled that on the map? Yeah, right around then. It was around, you know, 2008 or so. Yeah, or, or nine that we did our first exploration um, of this area. So how long after that, so you're working on Oahu. Um, are you, are you bartending and she, and uh, Ashley is, is teaching or. I had found work at a veterinary clinic. Um, oh. I had experience in veterinary work through um, since college. Really? And I, yeah, a whole nother. Oh, you, you have a whole series of, uh, of skills, <laughs> Sean. It's impressive. I know we talked, um, offline about how you uh studied fine art so you really do have a a big wide range of skills yeah i mean i've i've been a curious person through life and um go where uh go where my heart kind of pulls me and um you know obviously fine arts and i kind of feel it's all been connected in a way whether it's ice cream whether it's animals whether it's art um you know, my mother always said that there was a softness to me in that way, that I was always just very curious and, mm -hmm. and gentle. And I've always wanted to be, um, you know, very artistic. And, um, you know, I was always singing and dancing kind of a kid. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think it all kind of ties together in a way. It's kind of a, a heart and, or my heart in that way. Sure. I mean, uh, what a wise man said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? And then exactly. you go and all of these things came together and like, how would I have done this if I hadn't done that? And this and, <laughs> and, and you use all those skills, you end up synthesizing that into, a, into something that you never could have imagined. So you're working at this veterinary clinic. And then, well, this is the funny thing. So I'm working at a vet clinic. And you're thinking about Big and, Island. <laughs> yep. And so this woman, actually, I meet this woman who comes to the clinic and she has been donating food to the clinic. Like, here's all this food. Um, she's a farmer and she's an organic farmer and she gets all her produce from big Island hmm. and, um, she's just like donating all this food to the animal hospital. And I start talking to her and I'm like, I'm just really interested in farming. Like she's this really like grounded, um, great farmer. And I was like, I want to learn about this. Um, I had spent time with farmers in my past, but, but the Hawaii style of farming is very different. It was not like a track. There was no tractor and mowing and, um, you know, my farming experience had been in um, northern New Jersey, seeing like corn and um, pumpkin and squash and hay and um, very different than the Hawaiian like organic farming um, ideal, like this ideal permaculture. And so I started working with her part time and setting um, she set up a CSA program. I think Hawaii's first CSA program was set up by her. Wow. And, yeah. And. Doing that, I met another woman, a woman named Cassandra, who um, had just opened up a coffee shop and needed a hand. And I said, well, I have experience managing. Um, let me help you here. And 
yeah, you know, Oahu, kind of, I moved around through it. Um, you know, the vet work being the most, but then I ended up, you know, at the end there working at this coffee shop and, um, you know, eventually working into an ownership position um, through just time, energy, and um, investment. Oh, as, and, a, as a part owner. Yeah, as a part owner. Very and, cool. Very cool. Yeah, it was a good experience. It was a great learning experience. Um, me and the owner, though, um, Cassandra had a big falling out. She had something happen in her life where she needed to leave the island immediately. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why don't I take full ownership of the company? You go to San Francisco where you need to go. You and, and your daughter can go there. And me and Ashley will take over the full coffee shop. Ashley was a teacher at this point in time, but really at that at that point was already with me on board. Like, yeah, let's just run this company. We'll, let's we do can it. do this. We'll, let's do it. And so we had been, um, we'd canceled our um, apartment in Waikiki. We're like, we're going to move up to Waimanalo. Mm-hmm. We're just going to fully invest in this and we'll just, you know, take over the company. Um, long story short, one day we wake up, we get a text from her and she's like, Oh, I sold the company and mm. I'm already in San Francisco. And this is like a one day thing. Mm. And me and Ashley are like, wait, what? Like, um, where are you going to pay me for my portion of the company? Um, what's going to happen with your apartment? Like where, where are we going to live? That's crazy. And, and, and legally you have a right to part of that sale, right? I mean, if you're a oh, legal exactly. part owner. Um, we had gone to a lawyer. We, you know, definitely discussed the options and, um, the lawyer pretty much lined it up. He said, this is how much it's, I'm going to charge you. This is what it's going to cost to go through this. Um, he said, you have a hundred percent right to this money, but this is what it's going to take to get it. And me and Ashley kind of looked at each other. Um, we've both been a rather stress-free, we're stress-free people. I really believe Stress is the number one killer on the planet. It is the worst thing for your body. Yep. It's the worst thing for your mind. Absolutely. And to me, nothing is more stressful than court. Going to court. <laughs> is, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's so stressful, it's, honestly. It's terrible. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to do this to myself. And Ashley's like, you know, we kind of sat down, you know, did our little Ho'oponopono with each other. And we're just like, okay, hmm. wh- what are we doing? So we um No Hoponopono for people who don't know. Should we should we describe that? Not everybody's gonna oh, know that. Do, do a quick description, yeah. When when you go through the steps, there's the four steps, right? It's yep. um uh thank you. I'm sorry. Uh please forgive me, I love you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That that's a very ancient and you go through each of those steps very consciously. That's a very ancient Hawaiian practice, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, whether it's um, dealing with yeah, reconciliation of, like, a, an issue that you're having personally or with uh, a forgiveness of someone or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, or coming to terms with something difficult. Um, in some ways, you know, sometimes you're meant to hold hands and, like, sit across from each other and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of, like, stare for a while. and Hold with, space. Yeah, yeah, and hold space and then... Um, yeah, you kind of, yeah, you do the, I'm sorry, whether you're sorry for, you know, you're sorry for anything, um, asking for forgiveness, thanking and, you know, and then love and me and Ashley will hold these every now and then with each other and, and hold that space for each other. Even if, you know, she's sitting in for someone that I need to find forgiveness for Mm -hmm. or, um, of, and, or vice versa, 
it's lovely and it's so encouraging to hear that you guys practice that on a on a somewhat you know we practice it when it's necessary i think a lot of people forget even on hawaii to to practice that i've, I've had so many positive experiences when i do that consciously mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it's it's ho'oponopono it's h o okina o p o n o okina o p o n o i think <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's the a, search it's engine Joe, will correct you. It's a mouthful. <laughs> Harry Jim taught me that. Oh, wonderful! So you did ho- ho'oponopono, and, and you feel like you probably felt like you were just super screwed. Um, and it's okay to share this story publicly, right? I mean, you're not mentioning her oh, name, obviously. No, of course. Um, you know, and I'm sure. You know, like I said, I've forgiven the incident and and moved on. Um, because ultimately, it was a huge stepping stone as well. It helped me get. Um, where I'm going, like you said, it was part of, it was just one of the dots yep. and it, it, it actually worked out really well. And in, in the same way, it's actually come back around karmically Ooh. for me really, um, positively. So she sold the business and we just were like, okay, we're, we're screwed. What do we do? Where do we go? And cause you don't have um, a place to live at this point. You've already, yeah, we had, <laughs> we had dropped our apartment. We were like, we're have everything packed in our car. So in everything so that you it. owned fit in your car. Yeah, everything we we've always been merely minimal. Everything we owned was fit into this Me too. car. And we actually have a funny picture of it because the car was not like a, a big car. We oh you're gonna love this. It was a nineteen seventy-two Mustang convertible. Okay, I'm gonna look up a picture of this. Yeah, it's um it was a beautiful car, but we had gotten it for a really good price because it was a military guy leaving the island, and it was my dream car since I was a child. I just loved this car. My this father, thing's gorgeous. What color was it? Uh, it was all cherry red. Oh, but, uh, shucks. First result. Yeah, I, I, we actually wanted it black the whole time. I think this has been the story of a case with us with every car. We're like, why don't we have a black car? But um, it came in <laughs> red, and it was, it was all sunbeaten. And we were like, well, we'll take it. This is a great car. This is a dream car. What better way to cruise Hawaii, You right? guys are so rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, you, we, something we've never been able to really uh, take out of our system. <laughs> it's great. I mean, this oh. car is, when you look at it, it's a nice car, but I mean, there's two bucket seats and a small bench seat in the back. And yep. in that bench seat, we have um, everything of ours crammed. In the trunk, we have a futon rolled up and crammed in there. Um, I think there's a photo somewhere. I'm going to have, I'll send it to you if you want. Definitely. Oh, I love it. We can put it in show notes if you want. I think listeners oh, would great. listeners would love. I mean, yeah, show notes are great. Um, show notes can be found at um, myth.li. I'll, uh, obviously, the there will be notes connected to this episode itself in iTunes and all these things. But um, myth.li, you should be able to find it. It's it, it's like Beverly Hillbillies. You know what, Beverly Hill Rockabilly. <laughs> I mean, we're it's the two of us in our leather jackets in Hawaii. I wish you know. Um, this Mustang yeah. loaded up with stuff, things like tied down to it. And we're just like, what do we do? Where do we go? And um, we end up just driving it to Young Brothers, dropping the car off and saying, hey, can you get this car to Big Island? And mm-hmm. now the Young Brothers. Young Brothers is the, pretty much the major shipping company through Hawaii. They move cars, furniture, um, shipping containers, everything. Okay. I just thought we should explain that in case people don't know. Of course, of course. So you're saying, get this car to Hawaii. We've got the signal. Get it to Big Island. Exactly. Like, we got our stuff packed. We got this, you know, we're ready to go. Like, we don't, 
you know, we've already quit everything we're doing here. Let's just do it, you know. And now your car is already packed with your stuff, so you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. If they're exactly, the car. we're like, we, we can go anywhere from here. Where do we want to go? And what actually, a great like, feeling! Let's go to Red Road. So we get out here and we find a little tiny place, an apartment that we found on Craigslist. Um, we never met the guy. He would 100% through email conversation, and it turns out like this: it was a young surfer guy, and he was just had this bungalow. This not like. Oahu is just completely different. This is what we call in Pune a jungle. I mean, four <laughs> plywood walls and some screen. Mm-hmm. And we get to this place and Ashley just start, is crying. She's like, no, I can't live in this shack. This is horrible. Like, oh. it's raining. It's gross. And we're like, oh, man. Okay. Well, maybe we should have probably looked at the place before we rented it. That's our bad. I said, don't worry, hon. Yeah. I'll get up tomorrow. I'll take care of it. Woke up in the morning drove around, you know, started talking to people. And um, through that, we found this guy named Mark Hinshaw, really wonderful guy. He's been a great, great help in our life and um, awesome community person in general, community leader. Um, we found him and he had an apartment for rent and was like, hey, come on down. You can stay moving today. And we moved in then and that was it. We were in Seaview and we haven't left since. Oh, really? So the place you're in right now was that is the original... No, no, this is, um, we actually are now in our own home. Um, we stayed at Mark's for years um, <sighs> and we didn't move out from Mark's till about three years ago. Oh, so you were just renting a, like a, a room with him? Yeah. He, he had a really nice cabin, um, you know, um, built on post and pier, you know, one of the stilt houses. Right. And, um, you know, big, like 30 by, no, no, it was only like 25 by 25 or so, or maybe 24 by 24. Um, a-frame house yep. uh, with a loft and, you know, a living room and kitchen, bathroom downstairs and a bedroom upstairs. And uh, it was very Hawaii, very <laughs> comfortable, all amenities. Like he was just, Mark's one of those guys. It's like, I want to live in the middle of nowhere, but I want to have all the luxuries of modern life. Yeah. So he was like, here, I have internet. I have, you know, a fridge. And I mean, things that out here we take for granted. Um, yeah. Or things that most people take for granted out here, which are, are considered luxuries now. Um, even still, like we have friends and they're like, oh, wow, you have a freezer and a fridge and propane. <laughs> and, oh, a stove that's not like a, you know, on counter, you know, stove. And yeah, I mean, I definitely lived. Um, I've lived in places on Hawaii that didn't have a fridge for a while, you know, and not having a refrigerator really changes your life. <laughs> oh yeah. Really think about food differently. And I think it's a good way to, to live. I mean, really makes you start thinking of like how fresh your food is, where are you getting it from? Um, how long is it going to last? Uh, and why is it going to last that long? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I found it very transformative and it definitely, you don't take it for granted after that. We should spin off on another podcast one day, Andrew, we'll do a whole thing on refrigeration and how it's changed the world. I feel it's one of the biggest contributors to world change at this point in time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. We only touched the first interview <laughs> question. Oh my goodness. Oh, but this hi. is all great. This is all gold. Well, you know, I actually use the refrigerator um, ideas all the time with people in talks about veganism. Um, we actually haven't mentioned through any of this yet. Me and Ashley are both Pretty much lifelong vegans. I'm not saying I actually is a lifelong vegan, born and raised. Really? Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she had some moments in college where she 
was like, oh, I'm going to try cheese and yep. um, eat some and do, drink some milk. Um, these were very big, big things for her to be like, oh, I'm eating cheese. Um, but even to this day, has never had any animal or meat or anything. Um, me, wow. I've grown up obviously eating a hugely wide diet, but yeah. very early on, I rejected the idea of eating meat to my parents and, and my family. And it was, it yeah. never made sense to me. It was always just, this is really strange. Why would I do that? You know, veganism is a very important part of our lives. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what has led us to where we are, you know, obviously doing the ice cream out here. Yeah. I think it informs a lot of, um, a lot of the decisions you make and your values, how, mm-hmm. how you relate to animals basically and the environment. You know, I, I went vegetarian when I was 21 and I feel like I was so late to the game, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and now I'm vegan or let's say 95% vegan some, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a milk additive in something that I eat, and I'm still working on getting to 100%, yeah. but I only cook vegan things. You know, you know, if an auntie comes up to me and is like, oh, I made you this biscuit, I'm not going to say, no, auntie, I can't eat your biscuit. Um, yeah. Get it out of here. Um, I still accept food, and, and not meat, but I'll accept food if it was made with a good intention okay. and a heart. Um, I mean, the same way, like, you know, I was in Mexico one time and a small kid offered me a glass of lemonade and I was like, I'm not going to say no. Um, I understand what this water, it was probably not clean water, but I understand his intention is that he sees that I'm hot and he has water and lemon and was like, here. He's trying um, to be of service. Exactly. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, to reject a gift, I think, is is an insult. Um, Do you remember the quote? uh, What is it? Mr. Miyagi from... Karate Kid, he tries to give the um, tree to Daniel's son's mother, oh, and then oh, she's yes. like, no. And he's like, refusing this gift, like, he's like, I give it because I can, and to refuse it is, like, a very big insult. Yes, you don't do that, especially in that yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Especially in that culture. Mm, and then out here in Hawaii, I feel the same thing. So, you know, even recently I ate something, and and I was like, I'm pretty sure this has dairy or eggs in it, but it's okay. And um, we... We have to be flexible with everything in life. Um, yeah. It's so important. And, and veganism included. I mean, so many people think of it as dogmatic or or almost like a religious thing. Yeah. To me, it, it is a lifestyle. It is a way of thinking. It is a different frame of mind. Um, and I'm not saying that being vegan is, but being vegan has definitely caused that in me, caused mm-hmm. that change in me. Um, I've never felt like such a big consciousness shift as change, changing that diet. And what that leads to. Yeah, I find that I, well, I, how about we go here? Um, what brought you to veganism? Was it the health concerns? Was it environmental concerns? Was it animal cruelty concerns? Or was mm. it Ashley inspiring that? A little bit of all of them? A little bit of all of it. Um, I had been vegan before I'd met Ashley. Um, well, actually ended up happening was funny is I brought Ashley back into veganism when we met that was one of the discussions like oh I'm vegan she's like what and just like really was excited about that and um she had admitted yeah I've been eating cheese and and pizza and you know kind of doing her college thing and I kind of said well where are we going to go from here like is you know is that something you're going to continue doing we obviously instantly started having a very deep rapport with each other on this was after you'd moved in together because that was the first night right I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is day one. We'd have moved, we'd already moved in at this point. We're obviously very serious at this point, you know. Day one, and 
Um, yeah, you're, you're like 36 hours in. This is pretty serious. Exactly. <laughs> I'm being, um, I'm being silly, always... but I know I, I get you though, because sometimes you meet somebody and you have this instant deep understanding. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Um, but you get this sort oh, of, no, <laughs> you get this sort of, I'm just, your, your story is a humbling and amazing to me that you, that you guys were so close, so fast. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely had times where I was like, wow, that relationship progressed faster than I thought it would. But that's usually on the order of weeks and not hours. Mm-hmm. So it makes yeah, me like, wonder, you guys were just primed. You guys were like automatically, your personalities just clicked in a way that is mysterious and beautiful. I mean, I've, I've seen that before. I still I still wonder about like how or what, but um, yeah, the two of us instantly made sense to each other um, and instantly started, you know, pushing each other to do more to like for growth and like really understood what I think each other needed. Um, in a way, like Ashley was grounding, she was in college and I was like, hey, do this, do this. And um, I was, you know, she'd be studying for school and I'd be like, here, read this, learn this. And, um, you know, we've always driven each other. And for her, I was like, hey, I'm doing this. She's like, hey, where, why don't you come here? And uh, why don't you, you know, why don't we meet at the museum? And um, we've always just really been pushing each other for like knowledge to learn, to, to grow. And um, even still, just yesterday, she actually was like, um, she actually excited me a little bit. She's like, huh. She's like, you realize that we do this every day when we ride back in the car. Like we have conversations with each other about growth and change. And I think I was going on about something about communication. I was like, you know, um, because we've you know, just been seeing people like and had a miscommunication, like someone had a miscommunication in front of us. And then we kind of talked. We're like, you know, isn't it important, like the acknowledgement portion of communication that you know, so many people miss out on and she's just right there. She's like, yeah, that's, it's just weird. She's, um, Oh, you mean like 10, four, I got you. Or I heard your message or just in terms of reciprocating feelings. Exactly. And you know, what we see a lot of times in people's relationship, I mean, just to say, okay, I heard you. Um, you know, I, I understand. And so many people have these conversations and you see them talking and there's no connection there where they're not saying, I understand they're not acknowledging what is being said, but they then instantly change the subject or just move mm-hmm. on. And, and to me and her, we don't understand that concept. We're both mm-hmm. very into communicating and, and mm-hmm. talking with each other and really having that understanding and giving the acknowledgement of, hmm. Oh, you're what you said has been heard. Hmm. Um, and understood. Yeah. Having, having a real, a real thoughtful, uh, heart centered dialogue. Sometimes I mm-hmm. wonder if that's being lost in the 21st century on a lot of people who get so much of their life reduced to tweets and sound bites. But now I'm sounding like an old man. And how, <laughs> <laughs> oh, back in my day, we actually... <laughs> or how many people are just waiting for their turn to talk, you know, instead of holding yeah. space and going, well, where is this person coming from? What is this person really trying to tell me um, about mm-hmm. life? You know, we're being, we're being given messages all the time. Yes. And it's completely, it's communication breakdown. And I feel like people ask us all the time for couple advice, relationship advice, Ashley, especially, I mean, women come to Ashley all day long. Oh, I I believe it. I can't count how many will come to her, like friends, couples, people that have been married for years, um, family and ask her like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Like, um, Oh, this is happening in my life. What do I do? And 
the answer is always, I mean, I've heard Ashley say it a million times, the answer is always communication. Communication, you need to talk, you need to be honest, you need to be open 100%. Mm-hmm. You need to open, be open to hear and receive what someone is saying. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. you have to accept it, mm-hmm. you have to hear it, and you need to move forward in a calm and communicative manner from there. Yeah. Um, communication is the key thing, and I think it's what's made us work. Since day one, I mean, we've known couples that have been married for 30 years, and they're like, we'll tell them we share a bank account. They're like, you share a bank account? <laughs> and we're like, well, yeah, like, we share everything. Like, we've yeah. shared a bank account since, like, two weeks into knowing each other. Wow. Um, it just made sense. That's awesome, though. Like, you, you give you give the romantic side of me hope. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a, in a very honest way, I say that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, we're both romantics. It definitely helps, but yeah, I think it's because of that communication ever since day one, we were like, we were honestly and clearly communicating with each other. So I think there was never like that portion of like trust that we had to build work on. We were just like, Hey, we trust each other and there's no reason to not. Um, of course we've had our things through life, but you know, that trust has always been there. I think it's because of the communication, it makes things easier. You're almost what you're describing, and this is going to be at least an hour and a half interview um, because we're an hour in and I've got so many other things I want to talk about and it's a podcast so people can pause it and take a break. If it's okay for you to go for another half an hour or so. Oh no, yeah, I'm I'm good for time. Awesome, awesome. Um, Because I'm I'm really enjoying this. I want to say that up front. Um, What you're describing to me sounds like a kind of instant knowing mm. when you guys met each other, a sort of an unspoken um, information exchange almost. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. There was just an instant, like whether we had to talk or not, like instantly we were like, I know you. Yeah. I, wow. I've known you. I've known you forever. Um, and sometimes we've joked and we've laughed. Like, is this a past life experience? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe we lover, lovers in a past life or not. But ultimately, we come, keep coming to the idea that we we weren't separate in a past life. We, we sometimes think back and say, I think that we were the same in a past life. That that maybe, um, I mean, reincarnation takes so many forms in our ideas. But sure. we sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe you come back as an animal. Maybe this or that. But oftentimes I believe our spirit might just dissipate like a ghost or, or as a steam or a smoke or Mm. it just spreads the universe. And sometimes I, we think, and we're like, um, I think we were one. I think that we were part of the same energy or being. And, um, and even now when we talk about each other, we talk about each other autonomously. Like we, we think of each other. Yeah. Like we're just one being. Um, Wow. Um, we, you know, we definitely have differences, but we we talk about each other and think about each other as a very singular thing. Like when we meet friends, we're like, yeah, it's Sean and Ashley, or, you know, it's just one thing. And, um, so, so getting back to vegan, cause we're not trying to, the thing is like, I think that I've observed people pushing an agenda and there's a difference between pushing an agenda and just sharing what you feel resonates with you. And going like, well, exactly. take it or leave it. And that's the difference. So, you know, it definitely started with Calvin and Hobbes. I um, read this comic and he pours his cereal and then he pour, he's pouring his milk. And then he looks at the milk and looks at Hobbes and says, so who do you think the first person 
Who do you think the first person was that walked up to a cow and said, let me drink whatever comes out of this thing when I pull it? <laughs> I've and, wondered that. <laughs> and I, I laughed so much. I was like, yeah, like who looks at a, a cow udder and it's like, let me just get under here and, and drink this stuff. I'm pretty sure Eddie Izzard has the same kind of the same bit. Like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to suck on that. Like, no, it, it's just not appealing at all. And, um, and I think after the end of the comic, he kind of puts the milk down. He's like, uh, and I felt the same way. I was like, oh, I don't want this anymore. And, um, of course the huge heartbreak when, you know, someone finally told me that gummy bears were made of horses. I mean, I was a small child. I was like seven years old and, and I wigged out at my mother. Do you mean I, specifically like, the gelatin component? Yep. Yeah. And, um, people and don't know so, gelatin's boiled animal bones. <laughs> Sorry. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Oh. Oh, it, it hurt me as a child because I love animals. I've loved them ever since I was a kid. That was my game. Like if yeah. people were like, what game do you want to play as a kid? I was like, let's play animals. Um, let's play little toy animals. That's just oh, yeah. animals. Were, or or mim mimic an animal. Yeah, mimic an animal. That sort of connects with your veterinary work too. Yeah. And that's why I always want, I mean, when I was a kid, I said, oh, what do you want to do? I'd be like, I want to be a veterinarian. I want to work with animals. And um, not realizing that veterinarian is the not the only job that works with animals, but as a Small child, what do you got? Firefighter, yeah. astronaut, dinosaur, or veterinarian, Cop. right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that. So um, I yelled at my mother. I was like, Mom, like, what? It's wrong with you. Like, did you know this? Did you? Why didn't you tell me? Um, freaked out at her. And she was like, I'm really sorry. She's like, everyone just eats them. And I was like, and that's okay? Like, um, it, it yeah. blew my mind. It completely blew my mind that it was allowed, that people did it. People did it knowingly that my family wouldn't tell me I was, I felt completely betrayed. Um, see also food incorporated the documentary. Mm, you can put that on there. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, and then the next experience for me was a consciousness one. Um, my father was, is a, was a big fisherman. Um, and he would really take us out fishing and yeah, he loved going to rivers. Like it was a big thing every year, him and his buddies would go fishing. Would you go to upstate New York? Yeah, upstate New York, him and his buddy Scott, they would go together and they'd go, he'd tie flies and get all the gear and then he'd go upstate and it was like this big thing. And um, I was probably like nine or so when he invited me for the first time to be like, you can come fishing with me. And I was really excited about it. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to go up and he had gotten me a fishing rod and, and I went up and I had my own little like boots and everything and he was in the river and he starts showing me, he's like, take the worm and you put the worm on this hook. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, we're, we're 10 minutes into my first fishing experience and I go to put the worm on the hook <sighs> and I notice the worm moves and he shifts. He's like, nope. And then I start poking him and he's like, Ooh, and you see him like do that worm thing where they pinch up and, and kind of move. And I'm and I looked at it and I, and I felt it. I was just like, Oh, Oh, this isn't right. Like, and I went to my dad. I said, Dad, this worm doesn't want to go on the hook. And he kind of laughed at me. He's like, the the worm doesn't want to go on the hook. The the worm the worm wants to go in the dirt there and uh, eat mud all day long. And so I took the worm and I said, okay. And I put him on the ground and said, okay, we'll let him do that. And my dad was just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, he wasn't upset. He was definitely like confused and. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want, I don't want to put him on here. And my dad was like, well, why don't you go 
play with the salamanders and crayfish and butterflies or whatever you want to do over there. Like just run around the river. Hmm. And so from then on in, yeah, for the rest of the trip, I just ran up and down the river looking for crayfish and salamanders and butterflies, like just enjoying the nature of it all. And wow. Yeah. And I never was upset that he did it or anything. Um, for me, it was just something that I couldn't bring myself to do. I just, yeah, just don't have that in me to want to harm any other thing. That's, that's amazing. I, I wish more kids had that kind of self-awareness. <laughs> um, I think they do. I think they really, kids are wonderful. I'm just, you know, as you say that, I was, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm trying to remember the first time that I did that and it was going through my mind. I'll have to see if that resurfaces. But mm. at least he didn't make you do it again. Yeah, you know? he wasn't like, here, do this. We're fishing. Like, that's what we're doing. Because a lot you of know, dads might have done that. No, no. I mean, and there were points where, you know, I'd, I'd stay, I still went on fishing trips with him. Um, for me, it was, the time that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely celebrated when he pulled in fish and yeah, you're spending um, quality time with your dad. I mean, that's important. Exactly. That's, you know, so important. Um, more important, more, most important. Um, you know, there's definitely times where I remember like him catching fish and be like, yay. And, and then still like being really sad when he put the stringer through the fish. And, you know, I remember a lot of the times while he was fishing, I'd spend time like lifting the fish and, and, staring at them and spending time with them while they were on the stringer while we were sitting in a boat or um kind of just you know looking at them and thinking like oh i feel really bad for you right now this is really yeah. um, heartbreaking but um you know it was still it was still a thing that was happening and um in the same way out here i have i deal with it quite a bit hawaii is a very open-minded place very conscious place veganism is huge here i mean they say it's like 10 percent of the population in some places i'd say here um, consciously it's huge. It's got to be 40% at least. People Definitely. are like, yes, this is something I, I strive for. This is something I work for. 40% you think in, in Pune? Oh, the, I, the I think in Pune, yeah, it's a big, big percentage wow. of people at least striving for that. I mean, I've lived in Pune, but I, I haven't done a, a scientific survey, but I, I definitely, I, I definitely noticed it's way more common. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have the complete juxtapose of the um, local hunting and fishing culture here. Yep. People go out and hunt pigs in people's backyard. Sometimes people yeah. pay them to catch the pigs in their backyard. <laughs> or they're spear fishing. Yeah. Cliff fishing. And um, at the same time, I do find the Hawaiians do have a better connection with food because of that. Yeah. Um, people seeing, you know, my big thing with veganism, and especially in America, like you said, fooding, is the disconnect of of mortality, the idea of life and death and, and where our food comes from and how it's gotten. Um, and in Hawaii, I don't see that. I mean, I see young mm -hmm. families, um, families that I really love, like raising their kids, showing them how to hunt pigs and, um, how to fish and, and really the respect of that as well as farming, mm -hmm. um, you know, the importance of poi and kalo out here, just really, um, very connected in that way. I don't mind people that people eating meat. I don't mind how people live. I think it is important though, to have that understanding of where our food comes from, what it's good for, what kind of medicine each food is like, what our bodies need and to listen to our bodies. Like what does our body need? I know some people that can't eat a lot of vegetables. They're yeah. whether it's their blood type or their life type they're they actually need high amounts of um, dairy, um, whether, you know, some bloodlines, whether it's a Tibetan bloodline or, um, or Mongolian or high mm -hmm. Nordic, um, 
Netherlands or something like that, their bodies don't take to this dairy-free diet in the same way. They need some kind of something. That's a um, very good point, Sean. And, and that's because of the, do you think that's because of generations and generations of adaptation? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, just what has made them survive. I mean, in Mongolia, I'd imagine, yeah, they, they need high content. I'm, they're probably drinking tons of yak butter and milk and um, just to keep the high fat contents to live in these yeah. cold weather environments. Yeah. And just like in the same way, you know, you notice like before refrigeration, there was the people in the north ate more meat and dairy while people on the equator ate next to none. There wasn't a lot of meat eating. There wasn't a lot of dairy. There was coconut. And I noticed that in Hawaiian diet, like they eat coconut in Thailand, coconut in Southern India, coconut. And as you get to the north of it, like you go from Southern India to Northern India, there goes from this, the Southern where they're like, oh, cows are sacred. I mean, of course, the whole thing, but cows are sacred. We don't drink, eat anything. We use coconut and this is what's available to us. But as you get to the northern parts of it, towards Nepal, um, you start finding that dairy is a very accepted and heavily used thing in diet where they're using ghee and butter. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes like that through the whole map where you look at it. The These warmer weather kind of places had um, coconut and no things. And as you move north, you saw slight more integration of dairy into the diet. That's a very good observation. It's true. It's, it's definitely connected to latitude and, uh, mm -hmm. and you have to be, you have to be aware of that, but I agree completely. What's most important is that people eat consciously Yes. and they don't just think food comes from a store. No, there, there's a massive network that's providing food to you. And there are so many different relationships. And, and that's one of the things that I love. I love so much about the big Island is those networks are more transparent and often you can meet the person growing the avocados you're buying, even if they're from the oh, store, you can track that down. I mean, there's a great uh, business that we're both very familiar with called the Locavore store. Oh yes. Cat and Arthur. Wonderful people. Wonderful people. And they, uh, they know so many, I, I don't know what they do is so uh, honestly awe inspiring to me how they're able to, um, manage so many relationships, everything in their so store. Networking, yeah. It's amazing to me. And they're so good at it. And everything in their store is grown on the island. Yep. If it, and if it's grown, <laughs> produced, made on island. And um, yeah, Nikoko has had a wonderful relationship with them since, um, I mean, they started right here in uh, Pahoa. And yeah, I remember. Great seeing where they've come from, you know, the same way, like the market culture here, like you said, everything's networked, everything's connected, and we can see that line so easy. And mm -hmm. and here, farm markets, I know they're catching on in mainland as well. Um, here, the farm markets are kind of the heart of the community in so many ways. It's kind of the center point, the staple where everyone gathers and hangs out and meets and, um, and grows from. I mean, we've seen a couple really wonderful businesses come out of farm markets here and... For us, it's really encouraging because these are local businesses, local people. And yep. it's not like on mainland where you're like, oh, look, McDonald's just moved in and built another store. We got more jobs or, yeah. oh, here comes Walmart with some more jobs. And instead, it's like, hey, let's create our community. Let's create our mm -hmm. economy. Um, this is our ecosystem. Let's grow it and create it naturally. And of course, there are outside factors always trying to move in on Hawaii. It's something Hawaii's dealt with forever. Yeah. Um, well, and before, even before America, whether it was China, Japan, um, you know, 
just constantly it's been mm-hmm. people have tried to move in and and take it in a way and it's really i think it's what's great about it is that it's still maintained its ecosystem economically like um financially they've kind of said hey this is what we're doing this is how we're doing it and and let's grow it naturally and they have a huge respect for local um industry do you think the farmers markets are one of the main reasons why you see so much entrepreneurship especially on the east side of the island but also on the west side too completely um the farm markets i mean think about who we've had start there people like cat and arthur yeah uh, big island booch brendan and keela um devin and gretchen filthy farm girl um oh, yeah. Shack bakery with matt and noel these People have um, these families. These, I mean, it's funny. It's a lot of couples, but yes, the uh, <laughs> that power of like that market, that community of like working together and growing these things. These these it it makes space. It's like holding space, making space for people to really supply the community with the, what the community needs from a local standpoint. And mm-hmm. it's kind of has yeah. It's like that little little voting booth in a way, right? Every week, people go to a market and they spend their money on you know what is needed and what isn't needed. And it kind of grows. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many people just make a, a living and a beautiful go at the market and, hmm. and created their whole lives here off of it. I remember for us, so Nikoko started at space market, um, the local community market here in Seaview mm-hmm. and space, obviously a perf- uh, performing art center for um, juggling and circus performers and, um, it was my favorite thing. I mean, when we moved this community, I remember the first weekend, Mark was like, why don't you go up there? There's a farm market this weekend, and I think you'll really like it. It'll be something for you. And, and you know, walk in, it's like a circus tent full of yeah. vendors and colorful people and um, all these things. It's just this bustle of everything going on, and everyone's laughing and eating breakfast and having a good time. And um, it's how we met our community. It's how we've made our family and friends out here. Um, all through the markets, really. And it's such an amazing, <laughs> to make it kind of a pun, it is such an amazing space, too. That building <laughs> is has a, such amazing color. It's a vaulted ceiling, and there are silks streaming down, and the light comes mm-hmm. in from all these angles, and they've painted the floor incredibly. Um, space is a acronym for people who don't know. It's a Seaview Performing Arts Center for Education. It's pretty easy to find. I think it's a Hawaii space.com. And yeah, I, I remember that market. It's such an amazing market. Mm-hmm. So, but, but how, how was the, how was the, the inception of the idea though? Did you guys start making your own vegan? I, I hesitate to call it ice cream, but I called it vegan yeah. ice cream for a long time, which is sort of a yeah. conflict in terms, but vegan gelato, what was the genesis of vegan gelato? Oh, okay. So I'm going to give credit due where it is due. Um, Please. We were working for Filthy Farm Girl. We were selling soap for them, um, working for the company. And um, one of their earliest, some of the earliest employees, really, like we started with them very, um, you know, early on. And they'd already been doing great, just pumping out soap all over the farm markets. Uh, Devin and is a brilliant, brilliant um, artist, right? Creator. And the two of them, really created a beautiful home and a nice family for us to kind of like Mm. join in and kind of really felt welcomed right away to be incorporated in this market life and this lifestyle. And uh, we'd spent our holidays and weekends and everything um, hanging out with Devin and Gretchen and the Mm. filthy farm family um, basically. And 
every day we'd eat lunch together and we'd all sit around and talk ideas. And I'd always, you know, saw what Devin was doing and was like, I really like what you're doing. Um, I want, I wanted to do my own market booth. I wanted to do something on my own. And we had, I'd brainstormed ideas. I would come every day to lunch and like, be like, Hey, I have this great idea. And I'd, <laughs> give, I'd tell him the idea and he'd kind of just tell me like what, what it would look like, how I would do it, things mm-hmm. like that. I'd be like, Hey, I want to do soda. And soda was one of the big things that I really wanted to start doing. And I was like, I hmm. want to do soda. And he was like, you know what? I have a cousin in New York city that runs a, a soda shop, like a soda fountain. And I'll talk to him about it. Maybe I can connect you. You can find out more about making your own sodas and bottling and, and running a little like soda fountain. And I was like, that sounds, that's exactly what I'd like to do, you know, to kind of, you know, be something fun. And Hawaii has a rich tradition in soda. So I started like really looking up this stuff and was like, why don't I make these little things? And for a while, me and Ashley wanted to start this thing and we were going to call it either jerks or apothecary pop or something like <laughs> let's make healthy nutrient, like soda that is actually good for you to drink. You know, soda used to be a medicine. It was supposed to be, yeah. people don't realize that Coca-Cola you know, <laughs> it was cocaine in it. And, and then mm-hmm. they, people laugh like, Oh, that was an addictive thing. We're like, there no, no, there was coca leaf in that. <laughs> exactly. But it was more of a brain medicine. It was like, here, this will clear your head. Um, ginger ale was a ginger medicine was there to cure your stomach. Root mm-hmm. beer, sarsaparilla is like it was a blend of roots that were really good for your heart. Um, these drinks were made to be medicines. They were sold at um, soda fountains that were considered mm-hmm. like, far- they were pharmacies, really. So pharmacies were the first soda fountains. Yeah, definitely. I just love apothecary pop. I can't get that out of my head now. Yeah, that was one of our first ones. We were like, let's do that. It'll be great. And um, It's a good name. So then we started getting into the logistics and Devin kind of helped us lay these logistics out. And he's like, this is a... Uh, Really an expensive undertaking. This is not an easy start for a company. Need a lot of capital to start going. Exactly. And we're like, yeah. well. Can I ask like what, why it required, like what, what about it required a lot of capital to start out with? So me and Ashley hit right away started making sodas. We have a recipe book still of probably like 30 soda syrups that we can make. And then, but the big issue came into carbonating. Carbonating isn't cheap. CO2 is hard to get out here. All uh, right. Bottling, bottling glass is expensive and bottling um, facilities, like to have the room and space to do it in a food safe in a way. I mean, we've always wanted to do everything 100% above board, um, very transparently, like definitely legally. Um, you know, we don't want to be in a place where it's ever like, oh, we're going to sue you. You're making your home, your ice cream out of your closet. Like, mm-hmm. we're like, no, we've, we've always wanted to be like food certified and, um, mm-hmm. you know, completely clean and uh, forward about, uh, fun about it. So it became one of those things where like, oh, we're going to need a, a place to do this and we can't just do this here and we're going to need machinery to carbonate and bottle. And so we're like, okay, um, you know, we've all these syrups and Devin, I think obviously saw that me and Ashley love creating things. Me and the two of us have been cooking together since day one, just loving, figuring out how to make everything vegan and make incredible foods. I mean, just really have a love for cooking. Um, one day he came out of his, uh, um, came out, we were all making soap and he walked up to me and said, here you go. I got this for you and gave me an old hand crank ice cream machine. And he's like, I thought you and Ashley would really like this. You know, you guys can make some, some vegan ice cream. It'd be cool. And it wasn't a business idea. It was just, uh, I think you guys would enjoy doing this together. Um, I think someone had given it to him and he's like, I've never used it. Um, just, you know, here you go, pass it on. So I went home that night and me and Ashley were so excited. We're like, whoa, an ice cream maker. And, um, 
I kind of sat around and we was like, oh, let's make let's make some ice cream today. <laughs> my first flavor was mint chocolate chip. Mm. And we made yeah. It One was always my favorite. My favorite yeah, me too. Since a kid, I just love mint chocolate chip. And I was like, okay, we have fresh mint. I have a coconut here. Um, we had some chocolate. We we're like, okay, let's make this ice cream. And we made it, and the two of us just sat on the couch that night eating ice cream, listening to music, and we're just like, wow, that was delicious. Mm. Um, so then we brought some back and gave some to everyone at Filthy, and we're like, hey, we made everyone ice cream, and everyone was like, that is so good. And we're like, thank you. And Ashley and we were like, well, why don't we bring it to market? So the, you know, two weeks late, two or weeks or so later, we had just started making batches, and we were like, oh, well, let's kind of figure out a recipe. And um, we made it and we made two batches this time. And when we went and sold the soap, we set up right next to the soap table, a little side table. Mm -hmm. And we're doing scoops of ice cream, just selling a scoop of ice cream for $2. And mm. people just loved it. They were like, oh, yay, like this is so <laughs> great. We really love this. this is great ice cream. And yeah. Thanks for making this handmade ice cream. And, and that was all manually done too, right? Like you were using the hand crank to make that? Oh, yeah. Hand cranking every... Every wow, bit like of it. Artis artisanal stuff. Yep. And we did it. We did that way for a long time, a long time. So we were just like, yeah, the next week we brought three, then we brought four. And we were like, wow, people love this stuff. People are loving what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And me and Ashley said, we need to figure this out more. So um, we then spent a good like, couple months, a good three months of experimenting every day, like making tons and tons of ice cream. Our, our friends loved us. They were super happy. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, we were just awesome. giving ice cream away. You know, some of them were good. Some of them were bad. I remember um, giving Jasmine and Sasha, our neighbors, a bunch of like coffee ice cream that had gone all sorts of bad. But we were like, you guys want ice cream here? And the people just, you know, neighbors come by like, what are you making today? And we'd just be giving it away. And you had both been vegan for so long. Did you have a and this was all vegan, obviously, but oh, yeah. had you had a vegan recipe that you'd been thinking about even before the ice cream maker, or did that prompt you to do research? And then I mean, you, did you experiment a lot with, you know, how much coconut do you use? How much? I'm curious about that. Oh, experimenting with everything, experimenting with thickening agents, with um, salt, with sugar levels, mm -hmm. um, with different types of cream, not just coconut, mixing the milks and making mm -hmm. the milk, um, taking coconuts and being like, how thin is this? Like how, like, what is the viscosity? What do we need this to be at to really be a good ice cream? How do we make it creamier? Oh, the texture has too much grit in it. How do we get rid of that grit entirely? Mm. How do we keep it from crystallizing and freezing? And so, yeah, we went on a huge um, thing for months, just really learning everything we could about ice cream, just diving in. We, you know, I have a shelf full of books on how to make ice cream from oh, around wow. the world and learning about the complicated chemistry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a chemistry. And um, like I said, with the coffee one, like who knew that coffee beans, like when cooked into something, it puts out this almost, it, it almost rubberizes stuff in a way. It was really strange. Really? Like we'd make, yeah, we'd make these coffee ice creams and then be like, why is this chewy? Hmm. Um, it was really strange. And we started to have to learn how to put coffee in ice cream because people wanted coffee ice cream. And we're like, how do we make really good coffee ice cream. And that's when we came up with the idea of cold brew. I mean, this is before the cold brew dream, but we were like, let's cold brew this, the coffee bean right into the ice cream. We don't have to heat it. It doesn't have to be cooked. That way it'll keep it from putting out the, um, oh. 
whatever was rubberizing whatever, whatever compound so that that the beans used in your coffee flavors are never really heated never no i mean unless the um unless the farmers are doing them i think a lot of them are probably roasting them to an extent mm-hmm. um but we're getting all of our coffee from Kau, um, Kau Coffee Farms. Mm. Um, although lately we've been using a lot of Puna-grown coffee. That's a big thing that we're really wanting to get into is this even more like, you know, Kau for people that don't know. Down south, it's the southern part of the island. Yep. Um, and it's where a lot of the coffee and mac nuts are grown. But, you know, we're like, how can we get even closer to home? So we've been really wanting to use more Puna coffee beans. Definitely. And a lot of those Ka'u beans, aren't they shipped off island too? Oh yeah. I mean, Ka'u is, is the new Kona. I mean, Kona yeah. is known as yeah. one of the great coffees in the world, but um, Ka'u for the last couple of years has been winning awards all over the place um, for uh, being yeah. the best coffee because yeah. it is delicious and, and rich and warm, but it doesn't have a bitterness like Kona. Kona is kind of known for its mm-hmm. bite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some coffee drinkers love Some people like that. Bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me, I really like a smooth, smooth coffee, and Kau is perfect for that. People drink or eat our ice cream. Um, I could so, so to say. Someone <laughs> said the other day, like, is this chocolate? What is this? Why is it it's so good and rich? And they're like, we're like, no, that's just Kau coffee, cold brewed, right into cream, a little bit of sugar, mm. and that's it. And um, well, having had your coffee flavor. And I'm not a big coffee person. I had some today, mm. um, but I'm usually I won't have any coffee for like a week at a time. I'll just do like maybe once a week. And I really enjoyed your coffee flavor, so I can personally vouch <laughs> for your cold brewing oh. method. <laughs> thank it was delicious. You, thank you. It was really, it really it and especially me not being like a big coffee person. I was like, this is a really good. You guys, I can tell you guys have really. I'm going to brag on you for a second. I can tell how you guys really have experimented a lot and try to figure out what really works and focusing on like the texture and the flavor profile and like what kind of aftertaste do you get? Mm-hmm. That's why when I met you guys originally, when I would find myself at Uncle Robert's Night Market, which is another market you guys go to, mm-hmm. I would just be like, people who hadn't heard of you, I would I would just like pull them over to you and be like, you need to try this. <laughs> it's really, really, really good. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much. I remember those days hanging out to getting to talk to you at market. And, um, you know, I'm going to say I'm a big food eater. I'm a food lover and I love experimenting and working with flavors and foods, but I have to give a lot of credit to Ashley. Ashley is to her food is poetry mm. and it's been becoming more and more rel- like as we've gone on, people are starting to see what she's doing in food. And I really believe like in my heart that she should be on these chef table shows like um writing books and um people should be seeing what she's doing because it's just incredible how she treats food how she thinks of food Mm. um what i see her do on a daily basis for in cooking is just miraculous it's something that i don't see like even in these crazy um shows of like chefs and things you're like they're they hardly touch on some of the things that she plays with and experiments on a daily basis. Like she just loves food. No, she's, she's definitely an artist. I mean, I see her work, um, most mm-hmm. famously on Instagram and I'm oh, just, I'm always humbled. And I think, I don't know if I could eat that. It's too beautiful. <laughs> there are times where I <laughs> sit there and I'll take pictures. It takes me longer to take pictures of the food than 
it does to eat it because I'm just like, wow, um, she does beautiful things. And and I can't even imagine how good it tastes. I mean, I haven't had it. I mean, all I've had from you guys is, is the ice cream so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to butcher the word. I think it's uh, wakizashi or something. It's a Japanese, um, it's like a Japanese art form of dessert. And, and she definitely adheres to that. Definitely loves studying Japanese food and culture and, and haiku. And in oh, a large yes. way, I think her cooking and, and in our ice cream flavors are our haiku. Um, of course, we call them what they are. But, you know, recently she's been making ice cream flavors. The other day she made one called Blue Moon Picnic. And and I, I was so proud of her because the way that the that people responded to it, it was the first flavor to sell out for three weeks in a row. Every time we made it, it would sell out, make it sold out. And can, can you describe it? A Blue Moon Picnic sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing it's blue. The itself is um, like a cheesecake ice cream. Yeah. Um, it's actually not blue. It's um, like I said, it's a little bit of poetry. It's a, a cheesecake ice cream with a Merlot reduction swirled through the entire thing Ooh. with really rich, raw, dark Hawaiian cacao. And um, you're making me hungry. Oh, it, it's something else. <laughs> and it's it's simple. It's just the three. But the flavor profiles on them um, really mix. And the flavor was actually inspired by my proposal to Ashley on a blue <sighs> moon um, at night. And um I was waiting for one of the, um, you know, every now and then we have different moons. We have uh, mm-hmm. the blue moon mm-hmm. is when a full moon happens twice in a month. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I proposed to Ashley on a blue moon in um, December on a cliff here in Pune. And I brought her chocolate and wine and vegan cheese. Mm-hmm. And she was just really loved it and wanted to kind of capture that in a flavor. So when people ate it, they kind of had that experience, the feeling of, what it was like and um and it does a great job and it's i really love how yeah how she puts flavors into poetry she makes it an art form flavors as poetry yeah instead of it being this thing where you know so many places like people um talk about other ice creams i even had a guy yesterday like oh well this company makes ice cream too i'm like that's great like that's great no comparisons there's abundance in the world everyone there's a lot of people that make ice cream Um, oh yeah but to me as you know we don't make chocolate ice cream. We don't make vanilla ice cream. No. Um, we, we've never have. Um, one time we made a Puna vanilla, which was, um, you know, vanilla beans that we harvested right here in Puna, right, right from a couple blocks from our house. Mm-hmm. And we made that in an ice cream, but it was a very limited one-time thing. But yeah, we don't, we don't do vanilla, you know, strawberry, like chocolate. We really like creating and doing something new and, and every week doing something new. Every time I make a flavor, it's it's a unique flavor. It's a it's a one time thing. And um, we do repeats like we'll do the rose petal pistachio. It's a favorite of mine. But every time I do it, it's a completely unique experience. That was one of the first things that struck me about you guys when I first met you in 2013 was how first of all I'm a word person. I'm a writer. The names of your flavors struck me. It was actually the, one of the first things. Like these are really mm-hmm. creative names. I can tell a lot of thought went into that, and then just picking them apart, like rose petal pistachio mm-hmm. and <laughs> almoretto almond, and going these these all I couldn't decide. These all sound mm-hmm. awesome. These all sound like a taste journey, you know, really, truly, and. Um, 
I was really happy because I've been so bored by the same like uh, vanilla strawberry, you know, and, <laughs> and you guys do stuff. And then sometimes you'll go, you'll do a flavor where I'm like, oh, I have no idea how that's going to work. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. boy. We've had, a, we've had some skeptics. Um, and then at the same time, they find an audience. And then I'll ask you for a sample and I'll try it. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I've never even tasted anything like that. And also I love it. And please take my money. <laughs> I actually think I think you were around for that one, um, um, the black sesame kumquat. I think I was. I'm gonna try to remember what I, I know we, that there was like a black pepper one. Oh, we did the black pepper one. Yeah, that one was fun. Um, I think that's the one I know, had, and that one was sort of like I, I hate to say it was gray, but it was kind of gray. But it would taste yeah, kind of gray, and it was amazing. I don't think I had the kumquat one. Yeah, the kumquat one is one of my favorite. It was um, we would. Gr- I haven't done it in a while, but kumquats are in season, so I should go and hmm. probably pick some. Um, actually, Space, um, the Performing Arts Center, has a kumquat tree that they invite us up to every year to pick, and I'll probably get about five gallons off of it this year, and we'll make kumquat jelly that mm. we'll then use throughout the year for different flavors. But um, this flavor is one of my particular favorites, and we don't make it often. Um, it's black sesame. We grind black sesame seed into the um, ice cream, and it turns it like a nice blackish-gray color, and then we swirl a kumquat jelly through it. And it was inspired by the lava flow of, well, what was that, 2013, right? Oh, I think it was um, 2014. 2014, okay, yeah, because you'd already been here a little when the lava started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember the lava flowed, and I was like, I want to make an ice cream in homage to Pele in, uh, of this flow. And, <laughs> um, you know, the black sesame idea kind of came because in Japan they use white sesame as an alternative to vanilla because vanilla is a very hard-to-get expensive um Oh, interesting, interesting. And so they use white sesame and they grind it and it kind of gives it this nutty vanilla-like taste, but more of a, a nuttiness to it. And I, me and Ashley said, well, we have black sesame, so let's do it with black sesame. We'll really get this dark, rich color. Sesame is a great taste when it's sweetened a little bit. And um, yeah, we thought, well, like, let's make a jelly. The kumquats were in season. It just made so much sense to make this glowing orange kumquat jelly. Um, and the two of them are paired. It's, it's this soft and like subtle and nutty with this really rich tart sweetness. Um, one of my favorites. Wow. Oh, I, I hope I, uh, I'll have to, have to try it when I get back over there. Uh, that, yeah, <laughs> sounds awesome. So, so just to sort of kind of round out your story, so, because we should probably start to wrap up uh, in the next 15 minutes. I try not to have these go over two hours. <laughs> um, we could, we could push a little past two hours, um, if it's in the flow. Um, but just in terms of, so, so you're bootstrapping off of filthy farm girl soaps. Great product. Mm-hmm. I love their, I love their design too. Um, yeah. and they, they, they have such variety in their soap too. I remember going through and going, oh my goodness, there's so many different flavors. Oh, and, they're and, hugely inspirational because of them. I mean, yeah, they were making rose cardamom soap and me and Ashley were like, well, let's make rose cardamom ice mm-hmm. cream. Um, <laughs> You know, if you could smell it, you can eat it. We were like, that's kind of how we thought of things. And we started thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know for a large part, I mean, even now, Ashley's followed by hundreds of ice cream makers around the country. Oh, I believe it. Because of the way we started thinking of ice cream was, hey, why why can't I have a sandalwood ice cream? Why? Oh, man. Now I'm really yeah, hungry. <laughs> why, why can't I put juniper in an ice cream? You know, why am I not steam distilling other things? Um, and that, that's what led us to a huge breakthrough in flavors where I was like, if it's a smell, it can be a flavor. 
And I started learning how from perfumers and online about perfuming, how to capture essence. And um, have you put sandalwood in a flavor? Oh yeah. We love sandalwood. Um, just that essence of it is really great. And it's a really rich, warm flavor that we'll do with, um, caramelized apples and things and sandalwood and caramelized apples, a wonderful flavor. We've done, yeah, whiskeys and, um, pine and, just everything from mag, um, magnolia, pickled magnolia is mm. one of the ones that I really love to do. Um, we've taken and turned almost all teas that we can into it. Um, gingers and lavender. I, and I love your, your ginger selections. So, so can help me with the timeline on this though, if if you can. When did he give you the ice cream maker, the manual one? And you know, was this? I'm guessing this was would have been like between 2010 mm. and 2013. Yeah, I'm thinking it around, I think it was around 2011. Okay. And, um, and when do you, when did you first do space where you're like, okay, we're here, we're kind of an add on in a way to the filthy farm girl, but we've got a product we're really excited about. Funny. I actually have it written somewhere. I believe it was sometime in July of 2011. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I think by October of that year, um, we had really gotten hugely into making ice cream and had been putting all of our time to it to the point where I had now quit Filthy Farm Girl. Ashley was still running the um, market booth for them, which meant I was also there, but we were now had our own table yep. at market. And Ashley had, um, you know, was already shrunk back to kind of part-time. And by, I'd say by like 2013, she had just quit Filthy and was like, that's it. And that's around when you came. Yeah. I don't think she she was was working for Filthy Farm Girl when I... Yeah, so it must have been right around then where she had quit Filthy and was like, we're only... This is it. We're all in. Ice cream. That's it. And That's uh, so exciting. Yeah, we kind of baby-stepped off. You know, I took off from it and worked ice cream as my job because it was able to sustain me. And we did it until it was able to sustain Ashley as well until we were completely, like, self-sufficient financially with it. Granted, out here, you know, at that time period, um, Hawaii was affordable for us to live. You were living for a $300 a month rent and, you know, eating vegetarian, you know, eating based on the market, buying our vegetables. It was very simple. And yeah, I mean, we went from, like I said, the two flavors to 20 flavors within a really short time period. And um, then we realized, like, hey, we could do more markets. And we started doing more markets and more markets all over the island. And then started getting people to ask us where the big ones were Brendan and Keela actually, who with conscious culture were really taking off and they were like, Hey, why are you not doing this too? Like, Hey, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you get in here? And they connected us with Kalani and we went to Kalani who was right next door and mm-hmm. Kalani said, we would love to buy your ice cream and give it to guests. And mm-hmm. I was really excited for you guys when, when they started carrying your product. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think that was, was that the, the one of the first or the first, People I think that was our first wholesale, yeah. Yeah. That was our first big one. And um, we'd gotten to be really close with the staff there. We really love the Lonnie family, the whole... Um, oh, yeah. Great people. Ohana over there is really great. And um, LJ at the time was the director. And um, he was so welcoming. He'd be like, let's do business meetings. And it was great for us as a young like entrepreneurs and starting up. He really made us feel like business people. He really treated us with the same respect that he would treat like the head of Sui-san or mm. um, 
or any of the other like big companies in the island, like whether he was meeting like a, a Hilton head or, you know, the head of Young Brothers or something. Sure, he was, sure. He was like, hey, let's do a business meeting. And he'd invite us to Kalani and sit us on the lanai with him and some of the other managers and and give us dinner and talk business and always treated it with, with a very high amount of respect. And I think that kind of taught us to start respecting our business in that same way. Like, yeah. yes, we are a farm market, but yes, we are also a business. And you're serving so many people when you think about it. I mean, the, the your reach, even though for a long time, we can get to the, the shop in a, in a minute, um, but for a long mm-hmm. time, you were just going to farmer's markets, but the people don't realize, like on, on Hawaii, farmer's markets, like you said earlier, that's the game. Like there are thousands yeah. upon thousands and upon thousands of people that go to farmer's markets every single week, if not multiple every, times a week. Every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, for us, there was space. There was, um, uncle Roberts, there's mm-hmm. Makuu, yep. there's Hilo, there's N- uh, Nanavale farm market. The Longhouse in Leilani would do a market weekly. It was very tiny, but hmm. I never um, made to that one. Yeah. It was a very tiny little meeting in their, um, their house. And, you know, there was just markets all, there are markets all over mm-hmm. and it, it is very much a culture here. Very much mm-hmm. what, I mean, people do for community and activities. This is where we see people. We don't go to the pub. There's not a downtown. There's, there's the market. That's where you go out. That's where you're heard. That's where you're seen. So how long was it before you were thinking, well, this is really taken off. How long had you been thinking about doing your own store? I think the store came up even beforehand. I mean, when I was doing the coffee shop in Oahu, I was really loving having that place, having that shop, having that like life. Um, I really liked the outreach that I had, especially with coffee on a daily basis. It reminded me of like my bartending life in New York. And I was just really thrive mm. on, you, you know me, I thrive on talking to people. I thrive on being around people. You're a natural people person. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I just love people. I really do like being around them. And so even like I said, when we started doing that and then the soda shop came idea and I was like, I want to do a soda fountain. I like the idea of having the soda fountain and the shop had always been that idea. Like I, we want the button, the Nikoko shop to be seen as like this 1950s ice cream parlor where you get floats and milkshakes and ice cream cones. And, it, you know, we want it to be one of those spaces where people can feel comfortable to pull up a seat at the bar and hang out and eat ice cream and listen to, you know, old rock and roll and just, you know, really, um, try to create, uh, I don't know. I mean, kind of a sense of Americana and almost sounds like you're describing. Yeah. You know, a little bit of that. Like I said, there's always been that little bit of rockabilly in us and, (laughs) you know, really have, have a huge nostalgia for, yeah, old fifties drive-ins and diners and um, for a while, when we were looking for shops, we were actually looking at old gas stations, trying to see maybe we could make a, a drive-through, like a interesting, like where people would come up and we'd just serve them out the window, and or like have roller skates, and they kind of have really always been wanting to have this really fifties kind of feel with what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, you guys could totally pull it off too in terms of fashion. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean that meets meets Kauai, meets this very mm-hmm. cute rainbow and pink and, and blues. And I mean, Ashley, obviously, you know, I'm black and white and Ashley's all rainbow. It's, um, it works out really well. Yeah. So you found a place in downtown Pahoa, one of my favorite places, nine, six, seven, seven, eight. And then you've only been open for what? Just a couple months, right? Yeah. We've been open about three months now. We opened in October. 
and it's it's been phenomenal. I am. It must change the relationship a little bit because you're in one spot now. People associate those memories with the location. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they did before, but it's a little different. I mean, we still have people that come up to the shop and and they know us from Uncle's Market, and they're like, "You guys have been here," they, you know. Um, we had someone the other day just come by, and they were like, "What is this? Is this new?" And then all of a sudden, you know, someone was there, and they were like, "No, this these guys have been doing this forever. They're yeah. they're like one of the staples of Puna. When you think of Puna, Nakoko comes to mind." And I was really honored that he said that because it was an old Hawaiian uncle. And oh wow, um, yeah, one of the guys that actually collects money for Uncle Robert's band and Uncle and thing. He's like, "I just oh, no associate way. you guys with the area, like." You know, that's just what it is. And the woman was like, really? And in bought ice cream instantly. I was just like, well, now I have yeah. to try it. Oh, yeah. And if you do have a chance to try their delicious vegan gelato, please take it. You won't regret it. <laughs> that concludes the first part of this two-part interview. In the second part, the other half of Nikoko, Ashley Campbell, will join us and share her empowering perspective. And then we're going to delve more into how conscious businesses can help save the world. Oh, and before I go, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on any of the incredible entrepreneurs that I have coming up. That's A-R-A-V-I-N-D-A show. And if you like Instagram, I'm Hello Crusoe on there. That's Hello, C-R-U-S-O-E. And I post all kinds of positive and beautiful photos, as well as samples of new interviews when they come out. So it's another way to make sure you don't miss an interview. Go ahead and follow me at Hello Crusoe in most places. And if you don't use social media, I don't blame you, visit my website, myth.li, that's M-Y-T-H dot L-I, to find all the interviews, as well as free samples of my books. Thanks again for listening. I will see you in part two.